Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There are moments in our life when we are shaped through adversity and challenge. We're propelled through turbulent change and presented with an opportunity to take wings and soar from a dark place to one of light. I'm Leslie Salem, founder of Over the Bloody Moon, on a mission to take the muddle out of menopause. In our podcast, we meet women from all walks of life and experience to share their tales and tools of positive transformation. Come join us for the flight. So welcome everyone. Today's topic is from surviving to thriving. As many of you will have experienced, living through a pandemic is having a profound effect on all of our day-to-day living um, and for many people, mental health. And as a community of women going through perimenopause, we've got this double whammy of dealing with everything that's going on with our hormones and all the issues that the pandemic brings. So in today's show, we're going to be looking at how to embrace this topsy-turvy new world order, tap into our inner resources and other support and go from surviving to thriving in the pandemic. And of course, these tips apply to any circumstance of adversity. So once we have them in our toolkit, we can pop them out whenever other challenges are thrown our way. So I'm really delighted today to welcome to the show Dr. Lydia Brown, who's come all the way from Australia to join us today. So welcome, Lydia. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Dr. Lydia Brown is a clinical psychologist and research fellow at La Trobe University and HealthScope Hospitals, as well as the University of Melbourne. She completed a postdoctoral fellowship on positive health at Harvard Medical School, and her research specifically focuses on self-compassion and positive ageing, something very important for us as a community. She has also a special interest in women's issues related to ageing and specifically the menopause transition. And Lydia's interested in psychological resilience factors that help people cope with the challenges that menopause presents. So it's come at a really timely moment having you here today because these are exceptional times. So I'd like to kind of just get your your thoughts on, on what the difference is between surviving and thriving in the pandemic. Sure. Well, firstly, I think there's nothing wrong with surviving. At the moment, it's such a challenging time in the world at large. Often we feel like we don't have a lot of options, there's nowhere to go, we're stuck at home. And I think that, you know, the nature of of this time in history is just getting through the day is, I think, an achievement, even if we don't have a whole lot to show for it. So while there's nothing wrong with surviving, I think that when I think of surviving, it's about autopilot, it's about being a bit frazzled, not really present to your life as it unfolds, just in a bit of a, in a bit of a fog. 
Whereas when I think of thriving, I think about really showing up to your life as it unfolds in the present moment. Even if you're doing something, you know, as simple as having your morning cup of tea or being with your family and, and just kind of being there to savour some of the small things that, that unfold in our life, you know, cooking a meal or listening to music. It's not so much about what you're doing. It's about your attitude and if, you, if you're really kind of showing up to your life. And, and I think that's the difference between surviving and thriving. That's really profound. I really like the idea of, of shifting from kind of having loads of things going on in our heads to just really enjoying and focusing on the moment. And also this notion of just celebrating the small wins, those small moments. You know, we have this huge pressure on ourselves that everything has to be kind of idyllic and 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 huge and big to, to really mark it. So um, I think kind of going back to simplicity um, and the simple pleasures, as you say, is, is hugely helpful. So thank you for that. Um, Lydia, there are three aspects that you tend to spend a lot of time with your clients and, and work. Developing self-compassion, the skills for resilience and positive psychology. So I'd love to delve into each of those and just give examples to our listeners on how they might be able to introduce them practically and simply into everyday life. Yeah, let's start with self-compassion. What is it? So self-compassion is about treating yourself with the same care and kindness that you would extend to a good friend especially in moments where things aren't going your way or when there's some kind of stress or suffering, when you've cooked a roast and, and you burnt it and, you know, those imperfect moments of life, um, treating yourself in those moments with the same care that, and compassion that you might uh, share with, with a friend. Yeah, I mean, we can be quite negative, can't we, sometimes to, our, to ourselves. So why, why, why is positive self-talk helpful? Well, I think women in particular are really not great at self-compassion. So women, you know, are often caregivers, often very empathic, able to preempt um, many different people's needs all at once. And, um, you know, it's almost as if we're hardwired to care for others. Bringing that same sense of attention and care back inwards doesn't come as naturally. And that's what the research shows, that women have lower self-compassion than men. And so I think that's why self-talk is so important. If we leave it to chance due to our conditioning, our upbringings, you know, we're always taught to be kind to others, but we're never actually taught how to be kind to ourselves. For all of these reasons, you know, self-compassion won't happen by itself. But one sort of practical way we can cultivate self-compassion is through paying attention to our self-talk and uh, finding ways to modify it. Mm. So what, how do we put that into practice? What tips can you suggest us to do? Sure. So I think the first step is to just start to be really curious about how you treat yourself, especially in moments when you make a mistake, and ask the question, how do I treat myself? What kind of language do I use with myself? It's not about judging yourself harshly for it you know oh my gosh I'm so self-critical I'm failing at self-compassion you know it's also being compassionate around that as a first step there are so many reasons why women you know why we're not good at self-compassion so it's about being understanding of that so that's the first step 
and then the second step is just to kind of from time to time ask yourself well you know what would I say to a good friend who say this happened to them what 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 advice would I give them and that can be a really nice question to just open up the language of self-compassion we already have the language um, of compassion so it's not about learning a new language it's about bending a language we already have for others back in towards ourselves and I like the idea of, of curiosity a- again it, it takes away the pressure and a sense of judgment which we can put upon ourselves Let's move on to resilience. What does resilience mean to you? So I think that resilience is about leaning into life's challenges and difficulties, leaning into those uncomfortable or even traumatic moments of life and responding adaptively. Often psychologists use the word adaptive, but that almost starts to sound a bit um, cookie cutter or oh well I have to be adaptive when there's big challenges come my way but it's about leaning into challenges and and responding um, with care and even wisdom um, to to those imperfections of life. It's an area that I'm personally quite interested in so I've, I've read some great books such as Angela Duckworth's Grit and Brené Brown's Rising Strong and what comes out from both those books is they identify resilient people as as being comfortable with being vulnerable and the courage that comes with that and as you said it's you know it's being comfortable to lean into adversity be curious with the challenge what what tips have you got to help people develop those you know essential resilient skills so I think in terms of resilience um, the first step is acceptance so say in the middle of a lockdown you don't have access to your previously enjoyed things you can't go to the movies you can't see your friends you might have your whole family there and and there's no peace and you're really under the pump and you feel quite restricted and stressed the first step to resilience is to simply acknowledge wow this is a really really tough experience you know anybody would find that really challenging and making peace with that you know making peace with the fact that Life isn't always easy. I think that's the first step. And then resilience and self-compassion, I think, really come come together. Because from that foundation of acceptance of, of, of a difficulty, any type of difficulty, big or small, then we can sort of move on to think, well, okay, how can I do my best to take care of myself in this moment that's really hard? And so even asking the question... What do I need right now can be helpful. What modifications would you suggest that women need to start thinking about that might have an impact on their thought, their emotions, behaviour? Well, there are quite a few. And I think, you know, through my research and through women I've spoken with, when I ask about self-care, often women will say, like, it's bottom of the priority list. They say, well, look, it's important, but I just don't have time. I, I have so many people in my life that need my care support attention aging parents teenage children uh, work responsibilities uh, friends community engagements they just say look my life is so busy especially around the time of menopause yeah we hear it all the time (laughs) yeah you know and so 
so often women will say, well, I want to practice self-care, but I just don't have the time. And what I'd say to that is, well, you know, it's about moving that self-care up the list of priorities. Um, If you kind of want to get everything else done first, there's always going to be more to do. So it's about actually choosing within yourself to think, well, how can I really legitimately uh, care for myself, which is different from being selfish? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we also can feel really guilty, can't we, as women, about putting ourselves first. But, you know, if we're holding everyone else up around us, we've got to be strong. And if we're starting to kind of wilt, we need to kind of take a step back, get ourselves back to a position of strength. So there's absolutely nothing selfish about that, because it's about then being stronger and helping the community and the people around us, the ecosystem we operate with. Yeah, I mean, I think it's such a strength of many women is this ability to be so connected and to give so much. And, you know, I think a lot of meaning can come from that. But it's also about putting the oxygen mask on yourself first before helping others. Um, again, there's sort of wisdom in that approach. It's it's not said lightly. It's said for, for a very, very sensible reason. Mm, I really like that analogy. Apart from putting self-care up there, are there any other um, inner or external resources to tap into? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, knowing what fills your tank is helpful because it's different for, for different people. So where I'm involved with a project interviewing frontline healthcare workers who've worked with COVID patients here in our pandemic um, and asking them about, well, what are the sources of resilience? What's helped you get through such a hard time? on the front line and you know while there are similarities there are also differences because people fill their tank in different ways for some people it might be going for a walk in nature um you know when 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 you're allowed to go out or if you if you're able to go outside to just um be in nature or others it might be uh, connecting with with friends or even um you know baking sourdough or or reading a book. Um, so I think uh, resilience looks different to different people and, and really taking the time to reflect, well, what fills my tank? And even writing that down and journaling about it so you've got uh, hard copy evidence to kind of hold yourself accountable. Um, and, and you could even go so, so far as to set up a plan. Well, okay, these are the things that fill my tank. How can I schedule one or three you know, of these activities into the week ahead and even putting reminding, reminders on your phone. But making it quite practical in that sense can be really helpful as well. Mm, fantastic. So let's, let's move on to positive psychology. So, so this is an area that you're, you're really passionate about. Um, what, what does it mean, though? Is, is that just thinking happy all the time? Yeah, no. So um, I think in its infancy, there was some of that, actually, in the, in the positive psychology movement. They discussed how psychology in general has had such a focus on psychopathology and, and things going wrong and researching disorders and, and depression and anxiety. Um, and so that as an antidote to that, they said, well, what about researching the positive parts of life and strengths and well-being and happiness? Um, so at the beginning, I think that there was a bit of Pollyannaism almost. Um, okay. but, but when I think of positive psychology, it's um, 
about sort of zooming the lens of attention uh, into those positive parts of life without in any way denying the challenges. So the, the challenges, you know, we all see them in our lives, all these so many imperfections. So they're there, they're welcome, that's part of life. But positive psychology is training our mental muscle to actually zoom in on, on the good things and the positive things in life. And so again, what, what are the practical things that women can do to shift their thinking um, to when, you know, their, their mood may be low? Um, again, I think it's always nice to um, start with the acceptance. Like if you, if, you, if you feel low, if you feel anxious, there's probably, probably for a very good reason. So always starting with that acceptance and making space for the negative. But then it can be really helpful to shift gears. I think they did a study to look at different positive psychology exercises and what was some of the most effective exercises to uh, increase happiness. And one of the ones they found to be particularly um, powerful is a, is a gratitude diary or gratitude journal. So at the end of every night to think about three things that you're grateful for from that day. Um, be they really small, like I, I had a really nice coffee this morning and I really enjoyed that. Um, so they don't have to be big things, but reflecting on three things that you're grateful for from the day um, every night can be a nice sort of practical tool. Yeah, we we also talk about the three P's of gratitude. So uh, at the end of the day, reflecting on a person, a place and a possibility maybe that, you know, came came out. There's this idea from positive psychology um, that's called um, capitalizing on, on positive events. And it's about uh, thinking of a, you know, something positive that, is, that has happened. Um, maybe you had like a nice Zoom call. I, I was Zoom calling uh, relatives in the UK on Christmas Day or Boxing Day around then. And, um, you know, it was, it was really lovely to reconnect again. So we can not only reflect back on these small positive things that we do, but somehow find a way to uh, capitalise or, or bring them forward. Um, and so, you know, even then, not just having the memory of something nice that's happened, but choosing to share that by talking about it. Like you might tell your partner, oh, I did this really cool thing today, or I'm just thinking about how lovely it was to connect with my relatives at Christmas time. Um, and to actually find a way to kind of, bring it into life um or if you're out for a nice walk and you see a beautiful flower take a photo of that and you know you're kind of shifting it into a new medium and you could even share that photo with a friend so just finding ways to savor these little positive moments of life and kind of capitalize on them share them with others um that's known to be actually quite helpful as well Mm. We, we, we got out last night the, some photo books that we've made of fabulous holidays that in the past life when we were able to travel. And it was just so lovely. And everyone was, you know, sharing the stories um, and the memories. So even though we can't necessarily do all of the things that normally give us pleasure, also reflecting back on the past, I find is quite helpful. It's really helpful. Yeah. So, wow, there's lots that we've spoken about today through the lens of self-compassion, resilience um, and positive psychology. So I think it'd be nice actually just to share my takeouts, which is 
firstly about being grounded in the present and to reflect on just you know the, the small wins in life to be curious about what's going on know that everyone is in the same boat and to be compassionate and kind to ourselves as well as others around us to try and suspend judgment um, and to you know accept what is and that this time is also you know life is always full of change and it's about learning to kind of you know ride ride the waves and and embrace it so having that that kind of um, acceptance that you've mentioned is is really important yeah i think made me think about some recent research that we've just uh, published last year looking at the link between self-compassion and sleep because you know often sleep can be a bit up and down especially you know with menopausal symptoms or needing to go to the bathroom waking up and in the night, this is such a time when the inner critic can play up and we might start to think, oh, just get back to sleep, you idiot. You've got a busy day tomorrow. What What are you doing? Um, you know, at least for me, you know, I, I've noticed my inner critic can be dialed up a notch at nighttime in the middle of the night if I wake up. And so this new research is showing that, um, you know, that there, there appears to be quite a strong link between sleep quality and self-compassion. Um, so the kinder you, you can kind of be to yourself, it, it also sort of is linked to, to better sleep quality. So I think that's also something to bear in mind that, you know, how we treat ourselves, you know, is relevant during the day, but even also at nighttime um, to, to kind of... You know, we can always take care of ourselves, um, which which is quite a cool thing, um, especially in a pandemic. It, there's so much need for that. And of course, our actions in the day have an impact as well on how well we sleep. So making sure that we do get outside if we can for half an hour, getting exposed to light, um, doing 30 minutes of, you know, moderate um, or vigorous, you know, exercise, eating well, avoiding caffeine, sugar, all of these things that happen in the day, prepare and set us up, you know, for the night. And then we start to get into this this positive cycle as well. Um, so um, fantastic. Well, listen, Lydia, thank you so much. Um, I feel really honoured to, to have had time with you today. Um, and I think also over the bloody moon, we're, we're very keen on talking to specialists and sharing the science behind self-care. It is very important to be rooted in evidence and, and practice. So thank you very much for, for sharing those powerful tools with us today. A pleasure, Leslie. Lovely to speak with you.